Hey there, Al Dominic, plugged in from Cornerstone Advisors. We are rocking and rolling with the very, very famous Ron Shevlin, great colleague of mine, runs research for Cornerstone, has a lot of claims to fame. Probably the most interesting is Lindsay Lohan, continues to follow him on the Twitter. So if you don't know Ron, we're going to spend maybe 20 minutes taking some classic rock tracks off the shelf to use to tee up a conversation about what's really going on in the world of financial services today. So Ron, good to see you. Thanks, Al. We're calling in from the mothership here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Ron just came from the desert in Las Vegas where Money 2020 wrapped up recently. So I thought in the spirit of coming from Las Vegas, we should pull some tracks from artists that called Sin City home. So I'm going to start with Pitbull and Neo. And I know you are a big Neo fan. but Oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah, you can tell. You know, that song, Time of My Life, that thing comes on the radio. And I, I'm sure there's some head bobs going on. But when it comes to Money 2020, did you have the time of your life? And if so, why? It was a complete zoo. And I mean that in a positive way. Uh, I, I didn't make it to, to, the, uh, co- uh, to the conference last year, so I wasn't there. I had a bit of FOMO because it seemed like a lot of people were going. I still wasn't ready to kind of spend four days in Las Vegas indoors just yet in 2021. Uh, they didn't do anything in 2020, so my really last time there was 2019, which I thought was a pretty, pretty good conference. Uh, this year, man, the attendance was up big time, and it was a lot of people there. And they also reoriented the whole exhibition hall. Uh, it used to be like uh, a grid, you know, and they'd have a sign. Here's the 1100 aisle, the 1200 aisle. And guess what aisle came after that one? The 1300 aisle. Whoa, what a surprise. They completely redesigned it this year, and nobody could find anything. It was everybody walking around kind of lost going. And there was no overhead signs. There was nothing. But the energy was super, super high. It was great. And again, I wasn't there last year, so I'm kind of cheating. But from what I heard a lot last year, it was very crypto focused. Big surprise. It was pre-crash and everything. Uh, and this year, not a lot of crypto at all. But you know what was, what was interesting, Al? It was a lot of good old core Banking and fintech, uh, a lot of digital identity, authentication, account opening, banking stuff. You know, it was it was it was back to back to the back to the future. You know, back to the core uh, of of banking and fintech instead of all the fluffy fatty stuff. That's cool. So evidently, they folks who were putting money twenty twenty together took the classic casino design, make it impossible to find anything, yeah. impossible to get out. But that means you were in a pretty interesting little community for a few days. So I'm curious, you know, for those bank executives listening to Plugged In who have heard about Money 2020, haven't been, probably are a little concerned about getting lost in the maze, spending a little too much at the blackjack table, you know, help parse out some of the key themes or issues that you think a a bank CEO and board and really executive team would find interesting from this year's show. Yeah, I alluded to it a little bit. Uh, Al, a lot of interesting stuff going on around fraud and risk management, uh, you know, especially with the proliferation of, well, crypto for one, but really more in terms of a lot of the payment activity and just the relative sophistication of uh, the bad actors out there. Uh, and I think t- to a certain extent, a lot of these vendors are responding to a lot of dissatisfaction among traditional financial institutions that they have with their core and digital vendors around some of the fraud and risk management capabilities. Um, a lot of digital identity stuff going on. Uh, and then just a, a lot of um, you know, customer experience, uh, you know, digital banking, you know, getting, getting that stuff uh, you know, back up to speed from an acceleration of new capability types of things. 
So uh, I, I, and there were a lot of bankers, you know, whereas in the past it felt like it was very heavy fintech, so a lot of bankers. Yeah, and you see some of these, you know, digital, you know, sidecar concepts that were there. I, I noticed that Mast, which is, you know, something that Synovus is doing, you know, had a, a pretty nice presence. Other, you know, banking as a service providers certainly were, you know, planting their flag and doing things. You know, we don't have to stick just with the conference. I do want to stick, though, with the artist theme. So, sure. you know, we talked Pitbull and Neo, Neo being the Las Vegas resident. The Killers are also known as a great band from, from the desert. I'm thinking about Mr. Brightside as their classic song that we all know and, and love. So if we look at the bright side of financial services right now, you know, where do you get kind of amped up and excited? We got to look at the evolution of sort of the storyline in banking and fintech for the past 10 years. And it's been, it's now flip-flopped. It used to be, wow, look at the fintechs, look at these valuations, you know, bankers sitting there, understandably sitting there going, I have 10 times more profits than any of these companies and look at my valuation doesn't compare to this stuff. So, but it's now coming back to more to parity and it's coming um, back to more towards the view that fintech is not here to replace banking. It is here to strengthen banking. Uh, and so the idea that, you know, these financial institutions are going to fall by the wayside because of these fintechs doesn't seem to really be playing out. And the mood in the industry uh, and I think it's kind of re reflecting that to a large extent. Um, and now I think maybe a lot of folks will say, oh, it was never about, you know, replacement. But that was kind of the, it was. the hype, you know, no, it, it really was. was. But what's, uh, you know, really kind of coming out is that this is more, they're really focused on a lot more partnerships, collaboration. How do we use this stuff? Which is not to say that this is all going to be a rocket ship acceleration. Um, sorry to go off script on you here a little bit. But if we look out to 2023 and with the economy, with inflation, the uncertainty, uh, I'm a little concerned of like for the fintechs and for the banks as well, and credit unions, of course, uh, financial institutions will call them. I think that's what they call them. Um, I'm concerned that we may see a little bit of drop in, in the investment levels and the interest in the partnerships because we may see some cutbacks in staffing uh, from the financial institutions themselves. So, I mean, in, this, in the long run, that's just a blip. But for the immediate, this this may you know, slack off a little bit. Yeah. See, I, I think about it as when times get tough, people start to hunker down and they're trying to figure out, like, where do I create savings? How do I, you know, really seek out those efficiencies that allow me to just maintain, you know, the, the status quo? Challenge of maintaining the stat status quo is you're inviting mediocrity into your organization. So, some of the more progressive institutions are saying, hey, there's certain initiatives we're going to cut, but on the digital front, we're not going to. And I think as institutions really think about becoming a more modern organization, you know, high touch, high tech, thinking about the efficiency of distribution, you know, their efficiency ratios and how they're running the business. I think the intersection of technology and banking still has, you know, a lot of potential, and a lot of ways to go. But you talk about the market narrative. Sometimes those are cheap, but they, those cheap narratives stick with us for a while. And so if we went back to, you know, 07, 08, you know, 09, there's a lot of bad stuff happening. The whole industry gets painted with a, a bad brush. So you have, you know, Occupy Wall Street, you have big, you know, players that are being compared to like community banks. And from there, we have Lending Club and Cabbage and, you know, all these kind of FinTech 1.0s come out and you flip ahead, we get COVID. All of a sudden, there's going to be another wave of companies that 
you know, are developed because people have become that much more familiar with the tools and opportunities. But I think it takes a different mindset to run an organization today than it did even, you know, five years ago because the opportunities just continue to expand. But, you know, it leads into my third song, which is from Panic at the Disco. So if we're talking- Before you get there. Oh yeah, I, I want to touch on a point you raised when you mentioned high touch, high tech. This is a wrong construct, Al. Uh, it is not high touch versus high tech. It is high touch with technology. Uh, I have really come, I was never a believer that a lot of financial institutions should be putting big money into branches right now. But right now I would say this is the biggest mistake they can possibly be making is to put the money in with the idea that it's high touch because it isn't. People want the technology. They want it to be better. The reason they are going to branches and calling into the call center today is predominantly, especially for anybody under a certain age demographic, is because the digital experience isn't good enough yet. Uh, and, you know, my, my standard line here is, uh, you know, why, do, why would I want to go to the branch and talk to somebody who has all of five minutes worth of experience in financial services? who not only doesn't know as much as I do about financial services and, okay, tell me I'm not the average guy, but that's, that's, okay, I know banking doesn't mean I know how to manage my money, but they don't even know their own products as well as I do. Right. It's, we need to, the banks need to really up the game on digital, uh, not think about this as a high touch meeting person to person versus high tech. It's about infusing the technology, um, into the, experience much better than it is today and improve the high touch with a, a technology-based. Well, and so let me build on your, your thoughts. I agree. So I also want to make sure none of Ron's followers, and he's got a ton of them on social, that they start coming after me because we, we'll agree in a healthy, you know, respectful way. When I think high tech, high touch, the high touch is not to be the teller who's welcoming you with a lollipop or a free pen. I'm thinking that if you're a small business owner, your focus could be entirely you know, different than what we would expect within the industry. A, people don't talk about banking if you're running a, you know, a commercial organization. You need money. You need access to capital. You're looking to hire people. You want to figure out you know, how do you do that. You think about operating leverage. How do you create it? Financial service providers have an opportunity to teach a little bit better to help strengthen the lack of familiarity with certain financial concepts. That to me is the high touch opportunity that people have to start to pursue because you can't expect your consumer or your customer to be as educated as you would like them to be. And so I think about, you know, back to your observations around identification and authentication. We know as an, as an industry so much about trends and patterns and who's, you know, making smart bets, who might, you know, be taking on a little too much. Why are we not helping to explain to people before they make a bad decision that this has greater risk than maybe you're aware of. So when I think of high tech, high touch, it's blending the data, the analytics, it's taking the understanding of the industry as a whole and helping people be successful. We agree. I just didn't want people to think high touch meant human touch versus a technology touch because there's a lot of opportunities to use the tech to pump up and amp up the touch. So my social clip for Ron Shevlin encouraging everyone to go back into the branch is not going to carry any water today? Uh, well, not with my followers. That's <laughs> well, you know, I, as I said, Imagine Dragon has, you know, some 
cool songs. Panic at the Disco has some. So now we're kind of jumping around for the different bands. The Panic at the Disco mindset that I wanted to, to bring to you is you think about what was hot nine months ago. That's not hot anymore. So what was hot to start the year? You know, we had Buy Now, Pay Later. You, I mean, you remember in August of last year, Square paid something like $29 billion to, you know, acquire Afterpay. You know, that Australian, you know, uh, company that got everyone talking. So like Buy Now, Pay Later. We can talk about Buy Now, Pay Never <laughs> as, a, as a concept. Crypto, that obviously was king. Now we've had the crypto winner where everyone is just looking at each other saying like, how much did you lose? Um, you know, there's things that we have to remember. We're cool. Like AI, machine learning. That still has great promise and potential, but I think it's more about the data that goes in and the patterns and things that you're looking to get out of it than it is the sophistication of the technology. So there's certain things that have changed, but at the same time, there's things that are starting to emerge. Should we get worried about crypto just disappearing? Should we be thinking more the blockchain applications and the smart contracts and the ways that, you know, we leave crypto aside, but we don't lose sight of the blockchain applications? How do you look at some of the things that have lost their luster over the last few months? Yeah, I think of in all cases as these are blips. These are just negative dips. These are not, uh, they're off the radar and good. They're never coming back. It's, things go up, things go down. They don't always go up in a, in a straight line. And that's, this is where we're at. We're at a point where these things didn't go up in a straight line. I'm still very bullish on buy now, pay later as a sort of a concept from a couple of different reasons. Did you know that I, uh, I read a blog on Forbes called Fintech Snark Tank? Um, so <laughs> I was going to let you pitch and hype your stuff at the end of this, but I guess we can get into it right now. Oh, man, you got to get it in there. So uh, I've been, I have this t title for an article in my head, Al, for, for months now uh, titled Don't Call Klarna a Buy Now, Pay Later Company. Because, yes, they do buy now, pay later. But what they really are is a retail and merchant enablement company. I was in New York last week for a product launch that they were uh, announcing, and they've got some really cool stuff that they're doing. They've developed a whole search engine that is shopping-oriented versus a Google search engine, which is, you know, all about just pushing sort of who will, uh, you know, bid up the, the the price the highest, you know, for the for that particular search. They uh, are creating creator slash influencer management tools for brands to interact with their creators and, and influencers. They're all about helping merchants. Um, this was a great event. It had the CEO of Flowers.com that was there, president of Bed Bath & Beyond, president of Canadian Goose, and, and then me and some other fintech guy. It was like, wow. I mean, but, you know, they're very retail-focused. It is The buy now, pay later piece is like a, a little knit in, in their, their world. But I still think this is important because... I think buy now, pay later is probably the best credit card acquisition tool that's out there. You know, instead of trying to figure out, well, now should we give them a thousand dollar credit limit or two thousand and put an offer in front of them and say it's like, hey, you got a purchase you want to make? Wait, we'll we'll float you the money now. You pay back in time, we'll give you another one, a little bit more. You paid that one, good. Hey, you know, you're getting to the point where you got a lot of purchases, need this. How about a credit card? How about like a permanent line of credit? So I think buy now, pay later has a lot of legs, um, sort of as a space, but also as a tool for, for credit acquisition. Um, on the crypto side, you know, what has caused the crash was really about, you know, price arbitrage and the fact that 
you know, people were throwing a lot of money in this with the idea that they were going to get rich quick. Didn't. Some did, I'm sure, but most didn't. But for banks to overlook this, I think they're making two big mistakes. You did allude to, to one of them. What first big mistake is that it, it will, it'll come back. And when it comes back, you know, what I've always tell, tell our, our banking and credit union clients is that I don't care if you think it's risky. Your customers and members want this. So give them a more safer way of, of acquiring this. Give them, tell them the advice, but you know, ultimately they're, they're still going to smoke. <laughs> You're going to tell them they can't smoke. They're still going to drink and drive. They're still going to play with guns. Um, so who are you to tell them they, they shouldn't be investing in crypto? It's what they're going to do. Help them do the things, but, you know, provide more education. The other biggest thing, big thing is the longer term trends towards, it's called DeFi or Web3. And DeFi is just a horrible, horrible term because it really isn't about decentralization. It's about blockchainification. And the idea that, uh, you know, things will move more towards a blockchain based uh, infrastructure that enables the things like smart contracts where the money that gets moved is in cryptocurrency because that's easier. Now, a central bank digital currency may help to replace that potentially, but that's a, that's a, a trend that banks should be, uh, thinking about how and when they need to be participating in that movement. And obviously there's a whole bunch that are doing it with the digital currency now, USDF and, um, so, you know, it, 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 it's, there are some smart banks forward looking that are getting into this already. When, you know, when we put together this idea for plugged in, we wanted to, you know, really shine a light on things that are being invested in, developed, considered. It doesn't have to be fully mature. I wrote for Gonzo Banker, which shameless plug, that's the cornerstone newsletter that, you know, we try to put out in a provocative fashion. I've heard of it. It's a little known, you know, thing in the industry. Oh, wait, everyone knows Gonzo Banker. And that's why we got the logos. Um, but I wrote about Nubank down in Brazil. Yeah. And so this week, I, I think they introduced their new coin, you know, so that's their crypto, you know, asset. I look at, you know, companies like N26 that have been in the news for good and bad reasons, but they're doing some pretty interesting things as well, where you can buy or sell up to a hundred tokens. So I think when you think about interest and maturity of opportunities, the crypto side, I don't want to sleep on, but I also don't want to just make it that DeFi, you know, you know, fairy tale land where everyone's going to get rich quick again at some point in the future. I do think that there's opportunities though for bankers in particular to get a little bit more sophisticated with the underlying technologies and think about how that could create some separation between you and your competitors. But think about competition and diversification and creating space. I made a little note. So, you know, Imagine Dragons, I mentioned, you know, they've got a lyric, just a young gun with a quick fuse. I was uptight. I want to let loose. I was dreaming of bigger things and I want to leave my own life behind. So when you think of that right there, it's how do you not just fit into the mold? It's how do you do something compelling and different? Revolution uh, launched a holiday home rental service, as I made note, that's designed to compete with Airbnb and they're going to grant cash back to users who book through their app. And so you think about the cross-sell opportunities that people are starting to explore again. Cross-sell is a dirty word you know, based on Wells Fargo years ago, it seems like some of these tech companies are figuring out really fast, get one product out, do it really well, and then cross sell and find some opportunities to build. Yeah, I think that's right. But I, I kind of do look at it out from a slightly different perspective. I think what they're doing is diversifying their product and service set with the recognition that just simply being a, financial, a bank 
isn't isn't enough. Um, yeah, they're they've struggled in the U.S. big time. N twenty six as well. I'm not even sure N twenty six is even here anymore. Uh, or Revolut, yeah, the Revolut is. So, uh, so that's a, you know. I and by the way, they're inviting an, an incredible amount of competition. I mean, even J.P. Morgan Chase announced it's going to get into the travel agency business. But again, why? Because it drives credit card purchases. So, saying you got to go back to the DNA of these companies, and I'm not even sure there's a strong DNA in the Revoluts and N26 yet, given how and that's not a bad thing. It's just where they are in the evolution. For a Chase, they're about we got to drive cards, got to drive payments. Um, so it's a, and I think that these are the types of things where I would hardly recommend to a bank that they start their own travel agency or service. But thinking about the diversification of the products and services that they offer to more of a, from a perspective of, gee, we just do banking and let's go push these products and services to the recognition that who do they serve? Who, what's their market? And this is the tough part for a lot of our clients, Al, who are community-based financial institutions. And I'll go a little bit far out, and, you know, the stake in the ground, but community geography is dead. Community is more about affinity than it is about ge- geography today. That's not true in all cases. I'm sure you go out to West Texas where it's very oil and gas based. There's, you know, more of a, uh, you know, a, a common need. Uh, and it's a geographic base, but for the most part, especially like in big cities, suburban areas, geography's dead, and a lot of financial institutions have to really think, rethink who it is they're serving, who they've been successful at at serving and, and attracting, and then figuring out. Well, well, we gotta provide a lot more either mon- money related services, not just financial accounts, other types of things to to that segment, and really rethink the distribution strategy. That's why banking as a service is getting big, because it's it's a new form of distribution channel. No, really well said. And you know, as we're talking about all these different companies, you know, Revolut, N twenty six, New Bank, you know, they're familiar. If you're in the fintech space, I mean, these are you know really mature brands. If you're in the banking world, you may not be as familiar with what they're doing, the investments that they're making, and really the types of talent that they're bringing in. Can I just underscore that for a second? Uh, my son-in-law works for a big Wall Street firm. My middle daughter works for a huge insurance company. So that's both financial services, right? We were at uh, probably like Christmas dinner or something back in 2020, 2021. And I had written something about Chime and both of them are like, who's Chime? I'm like, seriously, you guys are millennials and you, you, you know, in the industry and you don't know who Chime is. So it, it you're, you're, you're dead on, uh, you know, we, we know about them because we follow this stuff, but the general consumer and even people in financial services, not a lot of familiarity with the Revoluts, Chimes, Varos of the world. Well, it's somebody that everyone would recognize if they saw him on a billboard, whether he's alive or dead is a still open conversation. But Elvis played Vegas and his Viva Las Vegas is a great way for us to bring this conversation to a close in, I don't know, 90 seconds or less. Talk to me about the proverbial fork in the road when it comes to embedded finance and embedded fintech. Can you can you pick up the fork and take take it for both, or do you have to pick one? So it's the fork in the road you're referring to, Al, is uh, what I've been p- p- pitching in a lot of my presentations that I think banks have to make a decision between two paths from a real strategic perspective, embedded finance versus embedded fintech. Embedded finance is the banking as a service. It's the distribution, getting your products out through other fintechs, but you know, ultimately through 
uh, other non-financial brands who want to offer financial type services to their customer base. And it's it's a great it's a great opportunity because everybody wins. The, the the brands win because they drive a lot of loyalty. It's not about them generating a ton of revenue because they're really not going to directly from the financial product. But here's the thing. While this is really hot, the whole banking as a service thing, uh, I may be very wrong about this, but I really don't see this as every bank in the market's going to do this. Uh, I think by 2025, I'd be very surprised to see more than 300 or 400 banks doing that. And that's a you know relatively small percentage. So what's if you're not pursuing the Bass embedded finance path, then what do you do? I think there's a, a mirror side, the other side of the coin, which is embedded fintech, which is going back to this notion of expanding your set of products and services, incorporating fintech products into your platforms. Now, I think most bankers sit there and go, I can't do that today. And they're right. Uh, but you look at some of the leading vendors in the market, they're really moving towards this direction. You got a lot of integration layer companies, the side cores, uh, so, uh, yeah, the sidecar cores. I hate that term. I can't believe I even said that. I hate that term. Um, but there are a lot of you know vendors, providers in the market who are recognizing this as an opportunity. So I think we're kind of early in that. But from a strategy perspective, I think now can they do both? I think you're you're biting off too much of a of yeah. an apple. Well, you talk about you know these decisions. I've spent time with different CEOs, some of whom are all in. And I look at, you know, my friend Eric Sprink up at Coastal Community, who's doing an awesome job, you know, building things, Metropolitan Commercial, Mark DeFazio, think about MVB, you know, the Bank Corp. I mean, there's some great examples of businesses that have been developed. The challenge for other institutions that are thinking about it is those banks already exist and they're already doing stuff. So they've got a lead and they're not going to just give it up because you've decided that this is an interesting, you know, but, place to play. But but the same thinking would have, if you went back, I don't know, 100 years or so. You would have said, oh, we have three banks in the market. Why do we need another one? Because there's always segments that you can carve out. And I'm not taking anything away from the, the coastals and the evolves and so forth. And they've had a head start for sure. But here's the thing. Today, there are a, you know, an emerging group of, think of them as bass platform providers who are helping accelerate the entrance into the market for a lot of other banks. And you don't go into this saying, well, gee, I'm just going to be a bass player. You go in saying, I know I have a set of products that I can really deliver on, and I know that this is a market, and I got to go find the partners who can help me bring that those products to the mark to market. Yeah, and those companies like a Bond, a Unit, a Nimbus, a Treasury Prime, I mean, they're out there. They're doing some really cool stuff, and I think this you know, is a great way to, to thank Ron for his time because the world of technology continues to spin in some ways that are both interesting and unexpected. And so to be able to get plugged in with this gentleman really is an awesome thing. I'm Al Dominic. We look forward to you listening in to our next Plugged In very soon.